interesting in that song, and you know, in many ways that song has become a new, it's a much more modern hymn than some of the ones that we sing, but it's uh, very much has become a national anthem in many ways, hymn-wise, hasn't it? And we all know it, but it's not that old really, uh, but it's a great song, and it actually speaks to us as a nation. And we're not, listen, we're not going to speak today on uh, our study in First John. We'll leave that for a, a week or two. Because uh, what I want to speak about today is uh, what I, I believe that the Lord is saying to us as a nation. And you know, God speaks to nations. The Bible is full of God speaking to nations. And in fact, most of the stuff that we sometimes take sometimes as individuals, as what God is saying, is actually he's speaking to a nation or he's speaking to a collective of people, um, not just individuals, but we can take it individually. But I just want to just touch on that. Uh, the scripture that last song is from, How Beautiful Upon the Mountains Are the Feet of Him That Brings Good News. And uh, mountains in scripture are a metaphor for nations and kingdoms and powers and he says here that publishes peace, that brings good tidings, or the gospel of good, that publishes salvation, that says unto Zion, thy God reigns, thy God reigneth, in the King James. And then he makes mention that's in that last verse, ends of the earth, see the salvation of your God. And that's in verse 10. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Now, that's important for us because in Scripture, when we see that phrase, the ends of the earth, it's not a term that means as far as you can go. Like We would maybe say, oh, the ends of the earth, the far-flung corners of the globe. But to the ancient people of the Bible at that time, and in the Middle East, you could say, the ends of the earth were not that, they didn't have that meaning. They had a specific geographical location. And that geographical location was what the Romans called Ultima Thule, the end of the world, or they would call here the ends of the earth, and that was the British Isles. And the very ends of the earth was Scotland. So we're not just uh, taking that and appropriating that as Scots people. Well, we'll just have some of that then. That was what was meant by the ends of the earth. So it's exciting to see that the prophet Jeremiah, saw the prophet Isaiah, uh, hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth and 2,000 and odd years, 2,500 years ago from us, prophesied that the ends of the earth would see the salvation of our God. And of course, Scotland, more than any other nation, has been the land of the book, the land of, uh, or the people of the book, the land of the book, the people of God. And what a great sending nation we, we, we were, particularly during the days of empire, David Livingston, the Victorian uh, age, and so on. So praise God, it's prophesied our place in history. And, you know, we're still to fulfill all of that. Uh, those of you like Al Johnson, like me, will remember his famous catchphrase, you ain't seen nothing yet. And I believe the Lord is saying that to us. We've seen nothing yet of what God wants to do 
through this land of Scotland. We sing that song, don't we, Arise Scotland, in days of yore. We'll maybe sing that one uh, Lord's Day morning, um, teach you that. It's a wonderful song and it speaks about what God did in the past through men like Peden, Knox, Wishart, Rutherford, but how God plans to do way more than that in our generation and in the age to come. So, praise God for that. Let's go back to Psalm 124, because I want to reflect this morning on what God has done for us. You know, there's, there can be a morbid fascination uh, that we have with the, the wars, the First and the Second World War. Now, when I grew up, I was a wee boy, I loved the First and Second World War. I loved reading about it, I had books on it, um, and I loved playing sojis. Uh, and my action men, you know, I, 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 the action men, you know, the, the, with the, I think it was Colditz or something. You know, I, I loved, and the, the action men, they were really all based on the, the war, weren't the Second World War. But I liked the First and Second World War, and you know, you, my, my nana, my, my mum's mum, um, and in fact, my other nana, she was actually my, my, my dad's granny, They'd lived through both wars. And my, my, my nana, my mum's mum, she had her father and brothers all went off to war, about five or six of them, I think. Certainly a squadron. And she was left, and her mum died, I think, 1916. Just through the, prob probably through the sheer strain of thinking her husband and brothers all off fighting in the war. And they actually all came back. Um, but, you know, at 10 years old, my nana was, uh, she had to become the, ma the mammy of the house type thing. And so when her, her father and brothers came back, uh, she was, in effect, the housekeeper and had to do all the cooking, cleaning and all of that. So it wasn't just about men who gave their lives you know, it was what happened back home. And many, many uh, stories of that. And, you know, it, it's, it's a, I said that at Martha's funeral, it's a different generation that lived through either the first or second. Or, you know, if you've lived through a world war, no much phases you. And we have a whole generation growing up that don't even care about that. And you've got to ask, in 20, 30, 40 years' time, will the generation that's coming up just now, will they even care? Will they want to commemorate? But sometimes you can have a morbid fascination with it. Uh, but I, I do believe we should always honour and commemorate. But one of the things that uh, we're maybe not as conscious of, and I wasn't really as a wee boy, that's what I'm saying, it was for me, Britain... Uh, in America, won the war, but mainly Britain, because you know, as my dad said, the Americans only joined both wars so they could get in the victory parade. Now, if there's anybody, I'm, I'm taping this, recording it, so if there's any American folks listening, that was my dad, okay. But you know, I, I, I'll tell you a wee funny story about my dad as well. My dad during the first Gulf War was in. America and a friend of us, a family friend, a good family friend, but we just my dad was just getting to know him then. 
And they were driving along the road in Colorado. And my dad said to this guy, Bob, he says, what are all the yellow ribbons on front of the houses for in the trees? And he says, <laughs> he says, that's for all the servicemen who are out in, in the Gulf right now. That's, you know, we, we do that to sort of honor them and, you know, to let them know when they come home, you know, tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, although that song was about a guy who was in prison. But, but they put these uh, yellow ribbons out for service personnel who are in an active uh, theater of war. So he's telling my dad this. My dad thought he'd wind him up. He says, that's funny. He says, see when you were putting out all those yellow ribbons, he says, our guys were doing all the actual fighting. My dad was kidding. He was having a laugh. You know, he just tried to joke. The guy slammed on his brakes. Oh, offended. You can get out of my car right now. My dad said, I'm only kidding. So the guy was, the guy was pacified. He realized my dad's great sense of humor. But that's the thing, as you know, as, as I said, my dad used to say they only joined the war so they could get in the victory parade. And, you know, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. But the point being, folks, we have this thing that, well, we won the war. And, you know, you'd hear that a lot, wouldn't you? When, you, when I did, when I was growing up, we won the war. So if ever a British team was playing a German team in football, the British fans would start chanting stuff like that or sing the Dambuster song and all this type of thing. So I grew up, you know, it's a, 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 it's a funny thing to say, but I did, I really loved the war because as a boy, Sojis and all of that, everything. But this uh, Sam here, and he's speaking about ancient Israel, of course, but we could say this, we could say this in Britain, and indeed in America, or the Allies could say this. It's not us that won the war. And when you start to look closely at some of the stories, Dunkirk, or if you go back in the First World War, the Angels of Mons, and all these stories, you realize, and go back even further, that if God's hand had not been on us as a nation, we would very easily, I think, have lost those wars. And particularly the Second World War, because if you look at the military might of Hitler's Reich and, uh, and the, the armies they had, the, the, the planes and so on, you realize that we were really coming from behind. We were the underdogs in the natural. So this psalm is very apt. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, we could say, now may Britain say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quick. They would have swallowed us up alive. When their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. You think about the waves and waves. You know, um, you had in the, the two different conflicts, you had the Magnate Line and you had the Siegfried Line. Those lines of defense, I think in France, Belgium, those types of places uh, that were supposed to stop the hordes of Nazi, or in the First World War, the, 
the German soldiers and then the Nazi soldiers. And the Germans just totally... In fact, they went round those lines. Like water goes round a dam. If it's not stopped. And then, of course, you had Dunkirk. Uh, but, you know, there was a great deliverance at Dunkirk because the weather was in our favour. And he is in control of the weather. Or we would have been overwhelmed. And that was a big thing, particularly in the Second World War, the danger of invasion. That we could have been invaded. And you've got all these books, novels, and films as well about speculating what Britain would have been like under the Fourth Reich or the Third Reich and then the Fourth Reich and what would have been like under Nazi occupation. And it was a very real threat. Maybe today but we're not aware of that. Of course, some people would argue, and I would be one of them, that it happened anyway when the EU took control. Because they did take control. And thank God for that deliverance. And that's another thing we can thank him for if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. When men rose up against us, the proud waters or the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey, as a prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers, from the trap of the fowlers. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And folks, I just want us today to realize that it wasn't our ingenuity. Yeah, we had all that, and we celebrate that. We celebrate, I mentioned the dam busters, we celebrate the invention of that bouncing bomb. And all of these things, the ingenuity of the men at Colditz and different uh, concentration camps, and how they managed to get out, all the different things that contributed to the war effort, all the, the clever things, Bletchley, in fact, Agnes's aunt was in Bletchley, she worked there. And, um, and, and her dad was in all the battles, Battle of the Bulge, you name it, he was in all these battles. But, but we celebrate that human side of it, the inventions, the, the cleverness um, of radar, stuff like that. But we have to thank God for that. We have to realize that if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, his guiding hand, his protecting hand. And in, in the First World War, of course, this famous story of the angel, angels of Mons, where it was seen that beings of light, angels, if you like, were fighting on behalf of the British troops. But also to say this as well, that there was equally there were stories of angelic help for German Christian soldiers in the wars. And the sad thing about both conflicts, particularly maybe the first one, because the First World War was known as the War of the Cousins. You had the Kaiser, you had the Tsar in Russia, and you had our, our own king. They were all cousins. They were all related. And really, when you think about it, three Christian nations going to war with one another. That's the sadness about it. That's the sad part about it was that these wars should never arguably have taken place. And, you know, we, we can talk all day about uh, Hitler and the wickedness of that regime and a different thing, maybe from the First World War. But still, again, a Christian nation, Germany, 
and, and we had to go to war and you know, fight Christian brother against Christian brother at, time, at times. Or Christian nation against Christian nation. And that's maybe the saddest part of all was that millions died over both conflicts. And if there had been true men of peace at that time, we could have sat them all down around the table. Maybe not so much Hitler and these people. But you know, we see it still in the earth today. We see the nations flexing their muscles, so to speak, uh, doing acts of aggression. And it's still going on. And not only that, during the war, our enemy was over there. It was out there. It was, you know, it was across the seas. But a lot of our enemies today are in our own nation. Communism and socialism, the things we fought against, fascism, they're present in the Western nations now. And so much is going on, and it has to be said, so many of our governments are wicked governments because they've forsaken the Lord, they've forsaken peace, and they continually want to increase their aggressive power over us as citizens. So we can say today, if God, if the Lord wasn't on our side, we'd be eaten up. Let's, let's not pretend that some of these people, these politicians in particular, and social engineers, and media folks, and billionaires, let's not pretend that they don't have plans to enslave us to what they want us to be and do. Let's not pretend that there aren't wicked people in government. All the wars of this world have been caused by people who, who were aggressive. And, and we've had to, as a nation, resist that and fight that for centuries. Sadly, maybe at times, we've been the aggressor. But there's that wonderful, wonderful uh, promise that one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. One day men will beat their swords into plowshares and they'll learn war no more. And I think I've, I've probably, I've shared this before and probably shared it last year, but it's the same. The word of God doesn't change. We need that. Let's just read it from Isaiah chapter 2. You don't need to look it up. It says here, It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. And that means that, that God's mountain, God's kingdom, because mountain is a metaphor for kingdom, will be established on the top of all the kingdoms, shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. To the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Then it says these wonderful words, and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. 
and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And that's what we need in the world. We don't need a gospel, because there is no gospel, of violence uh, and aggression. We need the gospel of peace. And further on in Isaiah chapter 9, this is what it says. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Yet let me just say this to you. The government was never meant to be on Boris Johnson's shoulders or on Nicola Sturgeon's or on any other human. Not to say we shouldn't have governmental leaders. Does that make sense? But what it means is, is that if they are not surrendering and submitting their role as leaders to King Jesus, if they're not doing that, and they're shouldering the responsibility of government in their own prideful way, we will have disaster among the nations. And that's why we do have disaster. That's why we have the COP26. And all of these ideas that, oh, we need to do this, we need to do that, none of them work. Because the government is meant to be in Christ's shoulders. And it's the same with you and I. He says, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. But when we take upon ourselves our own burdens, you know, I'm, 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 I'll, I'll shoulder my own responsibilities, all that, but we don't let him give us the yoke. The Bible says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And in Romans chapter 8, it says that creation itself groans for the manifestation of the sons of God. Which means creation groans for peace to come in the earth through the sons of God. Well, we're sons of God, sons and daughters of God. And peace must come through us. That's why we, we pray every week for the nation and why we should in our own prayer times. And here's why, because it says, the government shall be upon his shoulder, not ours. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the last title, the Prince of Peace. When the Prince of Peace rules the nations, that's when we'll see peace, plenty, and uh, brotherhood, if you like, true brotherhood among the nations. Not fighting and warring and bitching and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Of the increase of his government and peace. It's endless if we will only turn to him. We don't need the nation's leaders meeting in Glasgow to talk about climate change, brothers and sisters. We need them to talk about how they can invite King Jesus to give them his wisdom to deal with all the problems of the earth. But that's not what they're meeting for, sadly. Because he has the answers of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it 
and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Well, I'm going to just leave it there, folks, because uh, our time is running short and we'll, we, we can get back through to the hall. Uh, I was, the reason Agnes came up and spoke to me was the heating wasn't actually on, because it hadn't come on. Uh, sometimes if the water pressure changes when the heating's off, <laughs> you've got to uh, gunder the thing and adjust it. So it should, should be warmer. Sorry? Aye, but it, it's no come on. So uh, anyway, that'll be fixed. So. Although it's great here in the church. But praise the Lord. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. In other words, this is what's going to happen. And people talk about oh, World War III. Let's, let's pray that instead of World War III breaking out, that peace will break out. True peace, not just peace at any price. Because that was, we're no Neville Chamberlain. Here I've got my piece of paper here. Peace. That, is, that wasn't peace. That was deception. And that was capitulation. But peace on the terms of the Lord. Amen. I could keep preaching, but I won't. The Lord bless you folks. Um, and keep praying that Britain would know his peace. Amen.